when you're tied to success, you start feeling like you're more important than you necessarily are when there's just a huge machine that's been built and you're kind of along for the ride as opposed to this happened because I was there. It's like, nah, even if somebody else was there, you got plugged in, that outcome would have likely happened anyway. But when you taste success and you get caught up in it, all you want is success. So I put too much emphasis on where I was working, the title I had, the notoriety that came with it, and hoping that the team would have success, you know, win a national championship, continue to have as much success as they had over the past 10 years. And that's the wrong way of looking at things because it's still a very fixed mindset when you value that instead of what impact can you have in the moment and how many people can you help. This podcast is brought to you by King's Council Coaching. The mission of the King's Council is to help you discover, develop, and deploy your God-given talents and abilities. In order to leave a legacy, you need to live your legacy of excellence through the five power pillars, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial. Now, our programs are specifically designed to give you the blueprint and strategies that you need to gain an edge in the most important areas of your life. If you're an entrepreneur ready to upgrade your finances and align yourself with other powerful kingdom-minded men and women, visit kingscouncilcoaching.com to start your legacy of excellence today. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Chosen Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Spittler, Director of Member Relationships here at the King's Council. And this week we have Pratik Patel joining us. Pratik, such an honor to have you on the show. No, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. You know, there's so many people that have access to podcasts and sharing things online. It's such a privilege to have somebody that is truly an expert in what you do. I know you're the director of Outer Energy for Own It Coaching. You've worked with the New York Giants as an assistant coach for director of performance and nutrition, strength and conditioning. You have a number of different certifications and various accolades. So I'm always excited to sit down with an actual expert because it seems like a lot of people have a lot to say about diet, nutrition, exercise, but very few people are are truly experts in it. So this is going to be fun. Let's start off with your story. I'm actually really curious to know some of your background, how you got into what you're doing now. You know, if this was something that you were always passionate about. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your backstory? Yeah. You know, I think it all just starts when I was a kid, like a lot of others played a lot of sports growing up. So soccer and uh, basketball, infatuated with everything from the NFL to the NBA, you know, followed some college teams, but then it's things started to happen, time started passing, got into middle school and high school, I became pretty sedentary. And that's somewhat a similar story that's happened to a lot of kids, not only just currently, but, you know, people within my age group growing up, which is unfortunate, but it's just the reality of what happened. So with that came a lot of weight gain, you know, a lot of detraining. I wasn't in shape anymore. And heading into high school, that's not something you necessarily want to have experienced because we know what high school, it's a very impressionable time in teenagers' lives. So you're either a popular kid, you're a jock, you're you know a nerd or whatever it is. And I was definitely not one of the popular kids because I wasn't involved in some of these more um, active activities. And 
and you know how it goes. It's not necessarily the most fun experience when you feel out of place, you're out of sorts. You know, being an Indian kid living in Kansas, I was already a little bit different. And then you kind of ostracize yourself with the behaviors that I was exhibiting to the point where you take a step back and you look, you know, like, am I happy with life? Even though I was at a young age, I was, I guess, very fortunate to kind of have a little bit more self-awareness and know like, hey, things aren't great. I'm completely in charge of this and it's my fault that things aren't great. And if someone's going to help me get out of it, it's going to be me. Like no one's going to come and pick me up and take me under their wing and make me the cool kid like you see in some of these movies. I mean, that's just not real life. So I made a conscious effort to say there's something that I need to do about it and I need to figure out what. So whether it was trying to learn a little bit more about nutrition, because I had some poor nutrition habits, just pretty much eating any and everything I can get my hands on. And, you know, it's one of those things where back then in, you know, the 90s and 2000s, the whole nutrition craze wasn't at the forefront. You know, we're eating a lot of ultra processed foods, fast foods, not knowing like over time, even if you were young, it's not necessarily going to put you on the path for success and being healthy as you transition into adulthood. And I had no clue about nutrition. So, you know, the Internet wasn't super prevalent. So my teaching of nutrition came in the form of these muscle and fitness magazines and these flex magazines. And, and, you know, you've got the IFBB bodybuilders on there. And in my head, I'm like, I want to look like that guy because I thought that was so cool. Like, I don't know what it was about, (laughs) you know, um, Ronnie Coleman and all those other guys of that era when he was starting out getting his first Olympias. I'm like, I'll do anything to be like that. Oh, I've got to lift weights. Cool. I got to start figuring out how to create lifting programs in the weight room and oh I got to take these supplements because this is what they're selling so if I want to look like that not knowing that they were on any and everything under the sun to get that big so started taking you know random supplements from GNC and talking to the people behind the counter so you know inadvertently in probably not the best way coupled with you know doing some track workouts a lot of lifting and trying to fix my diet as much as possible ended up you know, dropping a lot of weight, but then getting in shape too, to where I was now in a better frame and a better stance to be able to start playing sports again. So that alluded into track, that alluded into football. It wasn't very good at all. I just always liked the camaraderie of sport, you know, the challenge of what it brings to the table, not necessarily the training for on the field or, you know, on the track, but more so what I had started to learn and love in the weight room. I like, I just fell in love with everything about the weight room. Cause I went through a body transformation myself and thought that this is so cool, like nutrition and exercise, learning all about it. And then trying to implement it changed my life for the better to where I wasn't as, I guess, lacking self-confidence, you know, a little bit more popular, which was great because that transitioned into college, which is, you know, is, is a great, place to have a little bit more confidence when you're left to your own devices and fighting and fending for yourself. So always had that love for nutrition and exercise in the back of my mind. I didn't start studying it in college. I went to Kansas State, was a mechanical engineering major my first year just because I excelled in math and science. But really, that wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, it's just the degree program that I got into just because everybody said like, oh, you're good at this in terms of the content. Now you should get a degree in engineering. I'm like, I don't even know what an engineer, mechanical engineer does to this day. And I was in the program for a year, but I wasn't super happy because I wasn't resonating with the material and it didn't really speak to me. So I decided to seek out, you know, is there something else that I can learn and transition into? And so K-State had a really good kinesiology program. They have a dietetics program and then a combo dual major, but I was already behind a year. So the dual major wasn't the best choice for me to get into. 
So I decided to transition more into the nutrition setting. And that's where I learned about, you know, this is what a registered dietitian is. These are the different areas that they could potentially work. And I thought, this is cool. If I finish out the curriculum, get credentialed, I could potentially work in a gym and do meal plans and train people and help them out the way I help myself out. Like in my mind, like that was the cool thing. That's exactly what I wanted to do. So finished out the program, did an internship at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, got some experience like learning, like how do you assess people, patients, clients? How do you work in this integrated care from a performance staff, not only just in the hospital, but with all the other specialties that are involved with health and performance? And got some exposure to some sports teams and thought that, oh, you could actually do this with athletes. I didn't never really thought about that. Sometimes you just think athletes are so genetically gifted, like they just do whatever they want and, you know, they can perform, which is true to an extent, knowing what I know now. But I'm like, okay, maybe there's something to that. So I don't necessarily have to work in a, a gym. Maybe it could be a performance training center. Maybe it could be with a team. And did some internship opportunities, saw what the roles were like there, realized that I didn't have the experience or the background yet for that because it seemed pretty magnified in my eyes. So I'm like, okay, maybe I tried my hand at working some local places, interning, getting some recommendations. And that's when I I got some good advice from a few practitioners in the field said, look, if you can't market yourself with what your current skill set is and what you have, Maybe you go back to school, get a degree in a, a similar field. So that's when I thought, okay, maybe if I go back to school and get a master's in kinesiology, exercise science. So I ended up doing that and went back to K-State and grad taught there, did some research, did a little bit of coaching. That's where the coaching book started hitting me, like group fitness setting, like lifting, things of that nature, and started working with the men's basketball team on a volunteer basis because they weren't paying me, but I needed that experience. So that was my first mm-hmm time actually working with athletes that were very talented and in my mind like nutrition is going to save them it's going to be the greatest thing in the world i'm going to help them so much but not realizing what the mindset is of somebody in that position so a college athlete there's so many things that are going through their heads they're very talented to get to that point nutrition something that's just very low on their priority list of what speaks to them or what they value we were having these good conversations. I made all these plans for them, you know, wanted to help them out in a variety of different ways. And then the second they leave these meetings, they're, you know, grabbing stuff from McDonald's. They're going to the cafeteria eating, you know, chicken fingers and fries and two different desserts. And it's like, well, that's not what I told them to do. And that, that was a really eye-opening thing for me to experience because we can always have the best intentions and the knowledge and background and want to help people. But at the same time, we always have to meet them where they're at and understand, you know, what it is that their value, what speaks to them and how can I find a way to tailor my communication strategies to match that to where they start seeing the value in what I'm trying to bring to the table based on what's important to them. So over time, I was able to develop some good relationships with a few of the players where they had free reign and autonomy to reach out to me for questions or things that they were wondering about, which is great. You know, but again, I wasn't ready to necessarily take the next big step. So my time at K-State was done, you know, to finish my master's, defend my thesis. That basketball staff ended up going to another school. So my in with the team was gone. But that kind of opened the door to a variety of different opportunities for different places that were hiring for practitioners in the sports setting. So it wasn't just limited to 
colleges. You know, you had some performance training centers, you had some military positions. So I applied to a variety of different ones, but was fortunate enough to get an interview and, and I ended up getting the job at Michigan State. So it wasn't specifically me housed in the athletic department. It was me doing a lot of the same things that I was doing at K-State. So still being a very well-rounded practitioner, but it wasn't nutrition focused. It was, all right, well, I'm helping with research projects. I'm helping coach you know, youth athletes in the mid-Michigan community with holistic development. I'm working with Michigan State athletes specifically on nutrition, but I'm also teaching as well. So a variety of different things, which is great because now I was put in a situation where I didn't necessarily have anybody telling me exactly what to do. It's I had to figure it out when I'm working with these athletes on the Michigan State side because there wasn't a program set up. There wasn't a department. It was, hey, you kind of have to just test the waters and build relationships with those teams, with those athletes, because since I wasn't an athletic department employee, none of that was already kind of granted in. So that first year that I was there, it was just trying to be as consistent as possible, showing my face providing as much value as I could given the small amount of responsibilities and resources that I was provided, which again, would just meant that I had to go above and beyond to try to win their trust, which is a big piece. And I think early on, I just had a very fixed mindset, you know, the first few years of my career, once I started at Michigan State and even on my next stop, which since I didn't have a mentor in the game, kind of guiding me, you know, taking me under their wing and, and trying to show me the ropes and be like, okay, you might have a lot of preconceived notions about what you think is right, what you want to happen, but you always have to be very, very aware and, and present in the moment with observing and seeing like, this is our reality. You want this, but this is where we're at. And potentially in five to 10 years, we can get there. But I think comparing my situation to others was a mistake I made. So a lot of colleagues that were at other places, you know, had a lot more support, maybe getting paid more maybe had less responsibilities just in terms of the overall scope of what they were doing. And I think I fixated on that too much. And sometimes you get really caught up in that in sport where, especially nowadays, you see what other teams have. You see what other athletes are doing. You feel like you're not good enough if you don't have that or you're not doing that, which isn't the case at all. You know, to be a good coach, to be a good practitioner has nothing to do with how much money you have or what your resources look like or your facilities look like. There's a lot more to that in Early on in my career, I didn't realize that, and I was caught up in keeping up with the Joneses, but then blaming myself for not being good enough because I didn't have that. So after that first year, things went well. Like the, the the programs and the teams across the department were having success. You know, football had a really good. So sorry, can I ask? So you were at Michigan State. Were you working with all the different teams, or focused just with one sports team there? Yeah, the majority of my time was with football, and then basketball, and then women's basketball, okay. and some with hockey. But every team, if they needed something, if they needed you know access to me, if I needed to see their athletes one on one, if a coach wanted to talk, if a trainer wanted to talk, then I was available for them, and I wanted to be. I didn't want them to feel like it was just the revenue making sports, which generally at most places, even if you don't have a great team, is football. You know, it drives the business and kind of funds some of the other ones, but it's great having those other teams too, because college athletics shouldn't just be about football, even though it's a big piece of it. Sure. So across the spectrum, you know, it's, it's a good department. They had a lot of good success, good coaches there, especially with football and basketball. They were kind of like steering the ship when coach D'Antonio was there. Second year, they won the big 10 championship, went to the Rose bowl, won that. It was an incredible season, you know, one I'll never forget. But at the same time, I, I wanted to continue to do more. I had built the trust up with them and gotten more responsibilities, which was good because I was learning. I had never been in those positions before and done what I had done 
up until then, which I needed to continue to learn and grow. So from then on, you know, there was a great system put in place. I was spending pretty much the majority of my time in athletics and not doing as much coaching on the side with the other things that I was involved in, just because what I had invested time-wise in athletics was pushing things in the right direction. And I didn't want to let that go because there was good momentum that was built, but it was kind of just making a tough decision to say, okay, I think I need to focus on this area because there's the potential that it could be big. Maybe we create a department and now I have a budget like other schools were having. So in my mind, I thought like, oh, this is a no brainer, but not realizing what do the ADs and the higher ups think? Where is their mindset of what could be built out for those athletes? And what is their plan? Because I didn't think about any of that stuff. Again, I was very focused and fixated on myself, which wasn't the right mindset to be in, but I had to go through that and learn from that. And then yeah. heading into that third year, again, things were going really well. I, I thought that there could be the potential that those plans might happen that I had in my head, but they weren't ready for that. They, you know, they were three, five years off. I felt I was ready to take the next step and they weren't, which is fine. There, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, timing is everything. So then I made the decision of, well, I feel like my skill set and my growth is plateauing and I was still pretty young in my career. I didn't want to just kind of wait around for three to five years for the potential of something that might happen or, you know, there's a good chance it might not Sure. because I have no control over it, regardless of how good I think I am. Sure. So that's when I started looking for other jobs, other opportunities. And then I saw that the University of Oregon was hiring for a director for their program. And I thought, wow, like this is a school that I have a lot of interest in just because of Phil Knight, Nike, their progressive attitude, me just being a fan from afar and watching that program have success and just being a little bit infatuated with it. So, you know, applied, was fortunate enough to get that job. So I now I was in charge of a department, a budget, protocols, integrating with all the other teams, but also the other members of the performance department. And I had never done that before. And I was using my experiences before about, you know, having a chip on my shoulder and trying to do too much, but never being allowed to do that. So when I first transitioned my first year being in charge of a department, I also had staff members underneath me that I hadn't hired. So it's always an interesting dynamic when you are in that situation. The same when you have a new head coach that comes in and you had already been there. They didn't hire you, but now you have to play ball because they're the boss. So it's an interesting thing to learn to experience, you know, the person who is the decision maker, no matter if they're new and you had been there for 10 years or 20 years, like that's the person that's getting to make the decisions. I didn't handle things really well that first year. Again, knowing that I didn't think that what my plans were met what the current staff wanted to go along with. And, you know, it's a little bit of headbutting, being in charge of the department. I'm the person who is responsible for all that. So I have to take the good with the bad. You know, my process and my vision didn't really come into fruition until after that first year. So made a lot of mistakes, did things that when I look back at it, you know, I kind of cringe. But again, it's part of the process. It's part of the journey. It's what we do when we grow and we learn. Fortunate enough, like I was able to kind of transition out of that, start seeing about creating the program in my vision. Old staff members moved on to new experiences, was able to hire. So again, it was the first time I've ever hired anybody going through the hiring process. And I didn't do a good job of that either. You know, you have preconceived notions of who you want. You don't necessarily know how to go about that whole process. You kind of fall in love with one or two things instead of thinking about the big picture and, you know, what's right 
for the situation and for not just for the short term, but for the long term. So my first couple hires weren't great in terms of fit. Not that those people aren't great. They just didn't end up fitting the way that I could have molded them and helped them. So another learning experience. Sure. And I think one of the biggest things that I ended up coming out of that was, and this is very true with sports and pretty much anything in general, regardless of how good you are and how good you end up being, there are going to be people in your life that see you when you're kind of at your worst. Even though you're not necessarily that person that you were, you know, for me, it was almost 10 years ago. Uh, even if they were there for a month, two weeks, they saw you when you weren't good. So they have an association about you based on that, even though it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. So that's what they know about you the second they leave. And people that don't know you, who might know this person who leaves, might have conversations and they might say, oh, well, so-and-so's at this place at Oregon. Like, oh, I worked with them for two weeks or a month. Yeah, he sucks. And I have to own that because I wasn't good in that time frame. And this is very true when you don't know somebody, but you hear somebody that worked with them. Maybe it was just for a short amount of time. They don't necessarily have all the context. And that just happens so often. You know, again, it's one of those things where, look, there are probably people that don't think I'm very good at what I'm, I've done. I've had those same thoughts and conversations with other people that I don't necessarily know personally. So I'm guilty of it as well. So that's another thing, you know, you kind of learn. It's just don't try to just do too much or please everybody. Like you just have to do the right thing within that circumstance situation. But after that, things started to transition and get a lot better. So I realized where my mistakes were, understood that, tried to stop putting so much of an emphasis and focus on winning because up until that point, I was fortunate enough to be a part of teams that had a lot of success. You know, you're talking about like a Capital One Bowl, Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl at Michigan State, and then a Big Ten Championship, Rolls Bowl, and then a Cotton Bowl, and then go to Oregon, it's Rolls Bowl National Championship appearance. You know, Marcus gets a Heisman. And when you're tied to success, you start feeling like you're more important than you necessarily are when there's just a huge machine that's been built and you're kind of along for the ride as opposed to this happened because I was there. It's like, no, nah, even if somebody else was there, you got plugged in, that outcome would have likely happened anyway. But when you taste success and you get caught up in it, all you want is success. So I put too much emphasis on where I was working, the title I had, the notoriety that came with it and hoping that the team would have success, you know, win a national championship, continue to have as much success as they had over the past 10 years. And that's the wrong way of looking at things because it's still a very fixed mindset when you value that instead of what impact can you have in the moment and how many people can you help. After the 2016 season, we kind of hit rock bottom. 2015 was a great season. If you guys are very familiar with this, we played TCU in the Alamo Bowl. We were one game away from getting to the Pac-12 championship and pretty much having a maybe an outside shot at the college football playoff. That would have been two years in a row. Some injuries here and there and just, you know, not playing well down the stretch kind of hurt us or at the beginning, but and our last game too. But so we're playing TCU in the Alamo Bowl. We're up 31-0 at halftime. We just have a string of unlucky injuries. Things just happen. Our starting quarterback gets concussed, put in a bunch of backups, and we ended up losing that game in double or triple overtime after having a 31-point lead. So it's the biggest bowl, I guess, choke job in the history of college football. And they were going to make like a movie out of it or something. It, it was crazy. And then 
I had some feelers coming from the NFL, even though I ne- didn't necessarily think about working in the NFL. Like that wasn't my end all goal. Like working in the NFL and professional athletes wasn't what I love. Like I was obsessed with Oregon and I ended up getting a chance to work there. I enjoyed working in Michigan State too. So the college setting and the college game, I really enjoyed. I liked it a lot. The NFL, I knew that I had such a very progressive role with Oregon and I knew a lot of NFL positions weren't like that. And I didn't want to take a step to the NFL, but then get put back in a box like I was in Michigan State because that would just feel very deflating and defeating. Even though a lot of people just, they romanticize pro sports without necessarily knowing the ins and outs of what it's like working there. But it had some feelers from some teams. I actually went pretty deep with one where they were basically like writing up a contract. They had done a background check, you know, but for some reason or another, it didn't go through. And then that was leading into the 2016 season. Well, that just unfortunately was a bad season. So we went four and eight. Coaching staff got fired. And it was one of those things where, okay, this Oregon program isn't the same anymore because now you have a new coaching staff coming in. And it's not the same mystique of the Chip Kelly era, Mark Helfrich era. It's completely different now. And what I loved about it was changing too. You know, had a new boss, new supervisor who was great, brilliant man. But I was just unsettled because I felt like there was more that I could do outside of just what I was doing in my role. Because I've always, again, I had coaching experience. I did it at K-State, did it at Michigan State. I really loved that aspect of it. And I still knew about that connection between, you know, nutrition and exercise. Is there a way that I could be able to challenge myself and do a role like that? Because they are so interconnected and sometimes there's not proper communication between those two areas with a lot of teams, a lot of schools. And it just so happened that a colleague of mine had heard that the Giants were looking for somebody to, so they wanted to hire a full-time dietitian, but they also wanted somebody with strength and conditioning experience. So they were going to be an assistant strength and conditioning coach. So I was like, wow, this is incredible timing because things don't feel right with the new Oregon staff. And I'm ready to make a transition to challenge myself. Regardless, it didn't have to be the NFL, but why not see if I can have some level of success or contribute to something at that level and reached out, you know, to the organization, talked to the head strength coach, learned about, you know, his background, the position, how the team was trying to move in a progressive direction because they hired Ben McAdoo, they hired, trying to create a new performance department. And I was like, yeah, I'm in, you know, if I'm your guy, then great. So Skype interview, in-person interview, Coach McAdoo hands me a contract before I leave. He's like, we want you. I'm like, this is insane. You know, like this Indian kid from Kansas is now potentially going to be on an NFL staff, like a coaching staff. So I'm like, wow. So signed on, moved to Jersey. So first year in 17. And, and unfortunately, we were working with the team in a transition period that wasn't labeled as a transition period because we were kind of trying to win now, but we weren't ready. So in 2016, the year before I got there, when my boss and Coach Mack were hired, they went to the playoffs. You know, wild card game against Green Bay, didn't win, but high hopes because the defense was really good. They'd signed a bunch of players on defense that were playing well. The offense struggled, but the goal was, okay, support Eli. You know, give him weapons, give him an O-line. Eli's still a good quarterback. If you do that, he can help you win because he'd proven it before, two times. Unfortunately, that's not what happened on the field. (laughs) So I think the good thing was everything that I learned up until that point had gotten me ready to work in the NFL without having to make any mistakes. I really learned significant lessons, which was good because I had really shed 
that fixed mindset to more of a growth mindset and you know, kind of transitioning to an abundance mindset, which was great. That's exactly what I needed to do and be in that role. So the first year was just kind of just learning all about the business of the NFL because I had never worked in the NFL before, even though I had a tremendous amount of experience leading up to that. And it really is. It's a different ballgame when you're talking about adult males who are potentially older than you now, as opposed to the college kids who are all going to be younger than you. They have a ton of money. They've had a lot of success without you ever doing anything for them. So now it's more of a psychological game. It's building relationships and trust and proving yourself to them as opposed to in college. Like those kids don't have any other measures to guide against. Like you're the only person who's ever tried to teach them nutrition or tried to strength train them, you know, in that fashion. So they're going to listen to you. think you're the best thing in the world. They have no comparison. NFL is different. These guys have kind of been around the block. They are very set in their ways. Some are very open, which is great. So the role that I had was very unique to where I was able to show the organization that there was a lot of potential there that what we could do, obviously starting from the ground floor and building that up was, it wasn't difficult, but sometimes it, it sucks, so to speak, because you're, they don't know what's potentially out there. So coming from a really progressive place to a blue blood NFL program that and again, a lot of these teams are still a little bit behind the eight ball with how progressive they potentially could be. So that's one misconception about pro sports is, especially in the team setting, like there's a lot of stuff that they could do uh, that they aren't doing. And there's a variety of reasons for it. But my almost four years there was great because even though the team didn't do very well, they saw value in what we were doing. So going through transitions of new head coaches and then a new GM, they wanted to keep us intact because there was a positive response, not only in the eyes of the organization, but from the players too, because players come from a variety of different programs. They have a sense and a feel of what's good and what's missing. And you know, they, they felt that we were providing value, which is always a good thing. You do what you can do in the situation with what you're given. Even if we're losing, like I'm not going to look back if we get fired and say that, or have any regrets about, well, each one of those seasons, we pretty much knew the playoffs was out of the question after about four or five games and knowing that you have another 12 games, 11 games coming on within 12 to 13 weeks, if you include the bye week is, is tough because you have to show out every day, you know, being early, leave late. You know, we work every single day of the, of the year. Once this season starts a lot of travel, a lot of, you know, short nights, not great sleep. So it's hard to take care of yourself knowing that we could potentially get fired, there's a good chance that that might happen because the team isn't doing very well. But I was able to grow quite a bit from when I started to the 2018-2019 season because the people that I was working with, just doing a lot of observation, like it wasn't like they were mentoring me directly. It was understanding that they had a ton of knowledge and they were seeing things from different points of view that I wasn't. But being exposed to that was very important. Because I was, you know, sometimes we get so tunnel vision, so fixated on what we're doing in the moment, we stop seeing the big picture. And the big picture is what allows us to kind of just assess and see like, okay, what areas do I not know a lot about? Where are my biases? And where could I potentially seek out more information to complement and help all the different areas that I'm in charge of? So now it wasn't just, you know, nutrition, supplementation, hydration, and assisting with strength conditioning sessions, it's like, okay, we're doing blood biomarker draws. We're talking about recovery. We have to do sleep assessments, come up with solutions and strategies and interventions for the players because 
a lot of times they expect you to know all this stuff. And my knowledge level wasn't there yet. But if I was a part of another team that was having a lot of success, I wouldn't have been challenged to question and evaluate what I was doing. Because again, when you're winning, it's hard to just say like, okay, what do we not do well? What do we do well? What do we need to change? Because that's, that's very much sports culture and probably even business too. People don't like to rock the boat because if you change something and you don't get the same result, people are going to point to it instead of what actually was the cause of it. But because we were losing nonstop, you know, three, four years in a row, it's like, okay, I have to get better. I have to be very open to critiquing myself, being my harshest critic, but also those around me, I need to see their eyes. I need them to communicate with me with the things that they're saying that I'm not exposed to or I can't see because you can't be everywhere at once. And I think that was more valuable than if we were winning and going to the playoffs and maybe even winning a Super Bowl because, again, we're just a piece of the puzzle. Like I had been a piece of the puzzle before and the teams were winning, not because of me. And now if that was it's still true in the NFL, it's the same thing. Like in the NFL, if you have a good roster and you're pretty much injury free and your players believe in your coach and your coaching staff is good, you're going to win. But we had there's just a lot that we were going against in the situation that we were put in that now I look back on it. It's like, yeah, it's almost impossible to win, given everything that the team, the organization, the roster was facing. And that's why they made another change at the end of last season. I think they're making the right decisions. They're moving in the right direction. It's taken them, unfortunately, five different head coaches to figure that out. But sometimes the bad is the bad for a reason. And if they can do the right things and stay in the moment, they'll be fine. I think that they're moving in the right direction, but they have to execute. So that led me to... You know, 2019, I went through a kind of a personal transformation, knowing that I had chased this this status, this level of in the NFL and gotten to a point where it wasn't like I was just the dietitian. I was like, well, now I'm on a coaching staff. I'm doing all these different things. So there's a title association and, and something a little bit more elevated than a normal position because of what I was allowed to do. So the organization had a lot of faith in me and trusted me and I wasn't going to let them down. But at the same time, like I wasn't necessarily taking care of myself the way that I could in terms of health and all that, just because my values were tied to trying to be the best that I could. And that's what was allowing me to just say, okay, you know, I can work 12 to 16 hour days every single day throughout the year and not have to worry about that. You know, it's okay that I'm not with family during reunions and this time, because look, this is an opportunity. Not a lot of people are given, especially, you know, Indian people in sports, very few and far between. And so I felt like, okay, this is something that's worth not having much of a social life and, you know, not being able to find somebody dating or being married and have kids, things of that nature. And so, you know, 2019, I had a conversation with my supervisor, you know, we basically had to <laughs> evaluate ourselves. And it was a, it was very humbling, a very flattering conversation. And, you know, he had some great things to say. And it's like, oh, well, I guess I've kind of reached what I wanted to reach and then trying to see is is there another step for me to try to grow because that's a big piece of what I was hoping to continue on with that growth part was really important if I'm continuing to learn and I'm challenging myself then all of that's still worth it but if I reach this pinnacle and I'm not growing or learning and there's no step forward for me then now is it still worth it so my spiritual in my value system 
I had held on to so long that was guiding me, but now it was starting to falter and change at the expense of my physical health and everything else. So I was like, okay, you know, let me just see if I can take care of myself because at that time I was probably the heaviest that I'd ever been, not like in a bad way, but I was the strongest too. So just when we say a long-term bulk uh, as a way to just get away with being bigger than we really need to be and just chasing strength in the weight room. Again, for a person, we've met in person, you know, I'm not a very large frame guy. I don't need to be massive at all to get credibility from my athletes. I had to debunk a lot of bad habits. I had poor sleep, dating in New York City and staying up, you know, drinking and all that other stuff. Like, yeah, that was cool. But again, my my desire and drive to be the best or try to be the best was overshadowing that. But now it was catching up to me. So from 2019, after that conversation on, I'm like, okay, I don't want to feel like I'm a fraud anymore because I'm teaching these players all about the things that I'm not taking care of myself. So my capacity to handle more is very limited. And that's when I went back to the drawing board to say, okay, we have all this testing data. I know about myself. What do I need to do exercise-wise to kind of take care of myself in a better frame than just lifting heavy all the time? How do I need to eat? What do I need to supplement with? doing deep dives into sleep, you know, learning about stress management and meditation, because again, my eyes have been opened up to all these different areas that I, I was now somewhat in charge of for the players, but I needed to implement them for myself too, because physically and mentally, if I'm at the best of my game, I can be there for my players and the people that are around me. So over the course of that year, even heading into that 2019 season, like things went really well, like sleep was fixed. Mindset was great getting in better shape, you know, leaning out, still lifting and all that, but doing it the right way. But unfortunately, 2019 season didn't go well. Coach Shermer was fired. And then 2020 comes about and we have a new head coach. I thought we were all going to get fired for sure. But again, we were retained, given extensions. I never signed mine for 2021, but I was still under contract for the 2020 season. And then my supervisor, the one that I had, you know, inadvertently learned a lot from, and, you know, we had a good relationship. He ended up making a decision to kind of go back home to a new opportunity at the college setting, which would set him and his family up for a very long time, which was the right decision and a great decision. And then he ended up leaving. So the dynamic of what my role was with the team ended up changing. And my growth in what I was comfortable with was very much tied to him being there. So that made me start to evaluate a lot of these things that I had started thinking about back in 2019. Like, okay, what is my drive? What is my purpose? Now that I've fixed myself physically, I don't necessarily have that spiritual part figured out yet. So obviously I I stayed on with the team, tried to have some conversations with the higher ups about what my role could potentially be because I wanted to continue to grow. I didn't want to just get somewhat demoted or put into a single focus where like, hey, this is what you're in charge of. It's important, but I wouldn't be able to, you know, have as much impact and interaction with the team, you know, not doing the coaching aspect of it, which provided a lot of value and insight. And again, it's what the head coach wanted. Like I told you before, it's they're paying him a lot of money. It's his show. It's his vision. And we're going to try to follow suit. So what's good for the organization might not be good for individual people. And that's okay. But tested it out, went through the offseason training program virtually because of COVID. And usually time away from the team would be time that I would get a chance to recharge, you know, come up with new ideas, be excited to get back. But I just didn't have that same excitement when I returned back with the team once training camp started in 2020. 
and we had to do everything at the stadium because of COVID rules. And it was tough because I felt very detached and very alone. Even though I was working with people that I'd worked with for the past, you know, three, four years, I still felt very much like by myself. I didn't really feel a connection with the players and team because of I had been in this role and things were going well, but now I was tossed into this role. And yeah. it, it didn't feel very good. I didn't feel very good. You know, there's just something on my mind just saying like, this doesn't feel right. And sometimes, you know, that, that feeling in your head or the gut feeling is generally right. So, you know, I, I wanted to make sure I reevaluated the situation is, you know, is this how I want to work in this capacity for 12 to 16 hours a day, again, missing out on family, friends, life events, because before it was worth it. But now I wasn't necessarily enjoying what I was doing. And I didn't want to give 50% to the organization because that wouldn't be right. You know, just sticking on because, yeah, I'm, you know, making a good amount of money. Yeah, I've got the cool title and it's, you know, it's the NFL, it's the Shield. It's one of the biggest sports leagues in the world. But staying on just for those reasons wouldn't be right. And the job that I was now doing, I didn't feel like I, I was providing a lot of value or growing from. And that was something that was tough for me. So, you know, missing out on my dad's 70th birthday, which happened that August, didn't feel very good either because, you know, again, love to have him for another 30 years, but we never know what's going to happen. You know, how many birthdays will I be able to be a part of? And I'd already missed like the previous 10. And some of these things just start getting magnified about working in sport, having these associations with these teams, you know, you start feeling more important than you really are even though like people within the field or whatever, they know you, but in the grand scheme of things, like no one knew who I was. No one really cared who I was because I was just a guy on a staff. That was it. Not being able to provide a lot of value outside of just the players that I was interacting with. So I ended up making the decision that I needed to try to figure things out myself because I didn't have any answers. I wasn't being guided by my spiritual sure. purpose. So I, I got the team from within my position through training camp, but then, End of training camp, you know, that was when my resignation went in effect. So I transitioned out of that, you know, sold my house in Jersey because, and this was kind of the dumb thing I did. I didn't transition into anything. So, you know, <laughs> financially I was set up until that point. And luckily I didn't have anybody that I was in charge of in terms of a wife or kids. So I could somewhat get away with that decision. But there's a lot of people that have experienced what I've experienced but have families, but they can't just transition away because they have responsibilities yeah. and obligations to them. So I had to sell my house because I had no money coming in. <laughs> Luckily, the housing market's been crazy since 2020. Uh, so, you know, didn't really lose out on anything there. And then decided to either come back to Kansas where my closest friends are or go back to the Houston area where my family is. So spent all of December with my family, which was great. My sister, nephews, mom, dad, brother-in-law, cousins, so got a whole month with them, got Christmas, but it didn't necessarily feel like Houston was the place for me of where, you know, I kind of had to regroup and get my bearings together. So I went back to Kansas where my closest friends are. And luckily I had a place to stay, tried my hand at some investments, you know, things didn't go right. But again, all that stuff's a learning experience. And then I just started like, look, let me just start sharing my thoughts and experiences on social media, but also you know, try to work with people, either one-on-one -on -one athletes, yeah. entrepreneurs, non-athletes. So that's what I started doing at the beginning of January. 
for the majority of the year. And then, you know, started doing some consulting with local sports teams, you know, just kind of sharing my experiences and knowledge within a space just to try to provide value on my own time, you know, not having to work extremely hard and long and doing some of those grunt work tasks or intern tasks. So that's been fun. Still consulting, you know, still working with people one-on-one. And that's when I uh, got connected with Justin and Elise and own it at the tail end of last year. So I've known Justin since I was with the Giants. So we had corresponded a bunch of different times, you know, back when he was in the NHL. And I knew that, you know, he's very, very, you know, entrepreneurial minded. He's got a great network. He's super outgoing. He's very extroverted. You know, a lot of the things that I'm not, but that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. When you compliment yourself with people that aren't like you, that helps you bring things out of you that you might not have seen or done before. And that's what I always liked about working with yeah. a variety of different coaches. Like I don't have to be taught by them. I can just observe and kind of emulate the things that they do well that I don't do well. There's plenty of things that I can continue to work on and get better at. So we were talking, he kind of explained, you know, what Onan had been up to, the spaces that they were working in. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Well, I've seen people one-on-one. I do sports consulting. I work with athletes. But, you know, my reach is pretty small. You know, I've never really advertised anything. It's been word of mouth. It's not massive. You know, is this exactly the area that I want to focus on and, and continue on for the next 20, 30, 40 years of my life? Or is it just what I'm currently doing right now? So sure. after learning a lot more about, you know, what they were about, really enjoyed our conversations and going through their process and seeing how compared to my process, like I was learning, which is always a good thing. So I'm like, okay, this is great. Now I'm continually being exposed to things that I had not known before or done before, but it's adding a lot of value. And I think there's something there. So after a few different conversations, we started to get talking like, okay, well, maybe there's the potential for some collaboration and partnership. So that was the tail end of 2021 heading into 2022. And now, you know, with what they've been doing, building over the past few years, it started with the one-on-one client space, but now it's growing because of the partnership with Whoop and Max One. There's a potential to be able to harness and utilize this methodology for a variety of different people. So it's not just limited to a certain space because again, having worked in health and fitness for 12 years, but studied it and been obsessed with it for 20, there's so much out there, so many people that can be helped but they just don't know where to turn to. As you alluded to before, there's so much information out there. Can I jump in on that? Well, I'm really curious for you. Obviously, you have such an amazing story of working with athletes. And obviously with us, you were coming alongside business people. Do you find that there's a certain set of person that in some ways kind of lights you up most in terms of seeing results for? Do you have a, is it just generally anyone or do you really feel like your skill set is more so producing high level athletes or is it, you know, kind of your everyday person that's learning the basics of nutrition, you know, with all the different things you've experienced, is there a space that you just really enjoy being in? You know, obviously my, my experience has been very well versed with athletes. So that's what I know front, back, left, right, front and center. But it's not every, like, I've worked with a ton that just, they'll do what they want to do. They don't want to hear anything. And that's not what excites a lot of us as coaches. But at the same time, again, we we know what's potentially helpful for them. But not everybody's going to follow suit. So it's obviously understanding that specific person, what they value, how to tailor our words and communication for them. But for me, I get excited about people that want to learn how to get better. You know, like I had to understand that about myself 
you know, during the transformations that I went through in my lifetime, whether it was, you know, me in high school, me in grad school, and then me prior to 2019, the people that I get excited about working with are the people that are very open and want to do better, even though they have busy schedules and not people that continue to make excuses. Because Look, everybody's busy. Everybody has an excuse. But I think th- those are the people that I get really excited about because it's hard to work with somebody that doesn't give you anything that always has excuses. And it's tough. You know, I get it. You know, I made excuses for myself for a really long time, but yeah, it doesn't have to be just an athlete. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that you said, which man, we've had a lot of people on this show. If you've been a listener to the show for a while, you'll notice a common theme. And, and you said this straight away, the two things that you said kind of kicked off some of your journey was awareness. So you realized, man, when I look at my own body or or when I evaluate my own life, something's not right here. And then personal responsibility. So those are two things that I heard you say early on in your journey that, that you realized you weren't where you wanted to be, but then you also had to take responsibility for where you were at and you personally had to start making decisions. Would you say that that's pretty consistent with what you see with your clients that you try to get them to a place of, of awareness and, and taking responsibility for their life? Yeah, that's definitely a big piece because, you know, we go about our days doing things. We have our own specific habits and rituals. And a lot of times we do it because it fits with our schedule. It fits with what's comfortable. It fits with what's around us. And we might not necessarily know that some of these things are actually hurting us and we don't know it which is a big thing. And that's why getting a chance to work with somebody who's unbiased, who wants to look at things objectively. And just when we work with clients, it's like, look, I need to learn as much as I can about you. Before I started working with Own It and then with Own It, it's like, look, we're going to come in your world. Like you're not going to come in our world because we know that people that are like, give me a meal plan or give me a workout schedule or, or write it on the board or, you know, text it to me. That might not fit into your life. You know, you might be traveling, you might have kids, you might have a job that you know, throws work at you left, right, front, center, and you might have late nights and early mornings. So these blanket umbrella diet plans and exercise plans and things of that nature, don't they don't work for everybody because what gets sold nowadays is, oh, somebody looks really good. They seem to know a lot. This is the plan that they followed and they're going to sell it to you and they market it really well. But you don't have that person's schedule, background, genetics, uh, anything like that. It might be completely different. So that's not tailored or guided for you. So when people yeah. become aware of the things that potentially might be holding them back or are areas of opportunity to address and work on, that's always step one. That's, that's important. But the second is knowing that nobody's going to force you to do anything. Like I can't do workouts for clients. I can't cook and yeah. <laughs> feed clients or make them want to go to bed early. (laughs) Like that responsibility falls on you and you only like the same way when I was in high school, like, look, I was an overweight, you know, out of shape Indian kid. Nobody was going to save me. I had to do all that work myself. Same thing in 2019. Like, look, I had gotten myself to this point. My health was what it was because of me. Like I had to do something about it and I had to do it specifically based on what I was experiencing. So, you know, the, the three different times that I had body transformations in my life, each application and what I ended up doing was vastly different, even though I'm the same person genetically, because what my environment was like, what my schedule was like, what I was experiencing was completely different. So I think you nailed it right on the head. The awareness and responsibility piece are, are huge. 
And we'll bring this to a close somewhat soon here. But for our listeners, like I said, we work with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners, a lot of people that they maybe are working 16-hour days or they are you know, just struggling to stay afloat. And one of the things I know that we talk a lot about is if you're not taking responsibility for your health, how are you going to show up as a business person or as you know, a lot of people are family people as well? just the different relationships that you have. How does your health affect those different things? There's so many things that you could teach somebody in, in that realm, but what would you say to that person that, that just maybe hasn't prioritized their health and they know that they should, but they just, for whatever reason, haven't started taking action steps? It's definitely possible. The first thing is just really outlining what's important. What, what does somebody value? They say like, yeah, you know, leveling up my business or being there for my family or, you know, the things that they're in charge of and then getting a chance to kind of work backwards to say, okay, if these things are important to you, being the best version of yourself is going to allow you to really maximize what you can do in all those different areas. Because I've, I've been there before, you know, working those long hours, just putting everybody else's needs and, and you know, chasing the professional lifestyle for the longest time thinking that, you know, that sports culture, it's grind. This is what you need to do to get to a certain level of success. But just the same thing with with anything, if we continue doing the same things that got us success, we're never really going to be able to continue to push our boundaries. And, you know, a lot of our clients have identified this, which is great that sometimes taking a step back and taking care of yourself actually allows you to think of things in a different light. You know, the more healthy you are spiritually, mentally, and physically, allows you to do so much more than you were be able to do before. It's something that's not easy to buck that trend because, you know, you had success doing this and changing it up is a little bit scary because like, well, what if I change it up and everything comes crumbling down, which generally is not going to happen. It definitely is an adjustment period, but I think it's doable. It very much is doable. And as somebody who has done it himself and somebody who works with clients, athletes and high level entrepreneurs and performers that are doing it, it's huge and does provide a lot of benefit. Well, last question here before we end, but obviously I know you guys teach on the eight controllables. Is there any area that you feel like is a great starting place for people, like whether it be sleep or nutrition or movement? Do you usually tell people like, hey, let's get your sleep in order first. That's kind of the building blocks for other one, or is it really just whatever area people want to start in? Yeah, I think generally working on what they can address first that helps with physical capacity. So again, you might have the best intentions, you know what your purpose is, but if physically you're just tired all the time, you know, you've got brain fog, you don't sleep very well, you're traveling a lot, you're not showing up as your best, that's usually the biggest area to address and work on first. Because when you're able to build your physical capacity, your ability to handle the stress from mental, emotional, and spiritual side increases too. But everybody's going to be a little bit different with the areas that they potentially struggle with or have a, a larger area of opportunity. And for some of our clients, it's like, look, sleep is good. I exercise regularly, but my nutrition is terrible. Others is like, look, my significant other takes care of all the meals. So that's cool. I have a personal trainer, but my sleep is terrible. And some are like, look, I eat well, I sleep really well, but I don't know how to exercise. Like, you know, should I exercise? What should I even be doing? And why should I be doing it? So it's, it's very much unique and individual to that person. But usually those three areas are one of the three we can 
kind of pinpoint for most like, okay, this is definitely something that we've identified as an, as an area that we want to work on first because it's, it's the biggest thing that is missing. Well, I like the way you said it. You said areas of opportunity, because obviously for most of us, we have areas, basically every area we can improve in, but there's certain areas that there's going to be a lot more room for improvement. And so definitely makes sense to start with those areas. Uh, Man, I have so many more questions that I want to ask you. Unfortunately, we're about out of time here, but I did love hearing your story, just an incredible story and, and how you got to the to the place that you are now and you have such a unique journey. So maybe we'll have to have you back on the podcast and we can uh, jump into some other things as well. Yeah. If somebody's resonating with what you're saying, they want to connect with you. They want to hear more of your content or even potentially go on to work with you. What's the best way for them to connect with you? You know, I try to be as active on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. So my handle is at Pratique X Patel. So, you know, anybody feel free to DM me. If they're interested in learning more about the coaching, the site is ownitcoaching.com. Ownitcoaching.com. Awesome. So, and then if somebody does follow you on on social media, can they even like DM you or reach out to you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Awesome. Well, it has been an honor. Like I said, I know you just have so much more uh, wisdom that I'd love to draw out of you. So maybe at some point we'll have you back on and, and we'll be able to kind of get into the nitty gritty of some of those eight controllables. I know even in conversations that we had, there were so many things that you were sharing with me that was just so eye-opening and, and really life-changing. So man, we appreciate your time. Thank you for taking the time to share your story with us here on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me on. I'd love to come back and answer any questions you have. Well, let's make that happen. So to our listeners, thank you for joining us. And this has been another episode of The Chosen Podcast. We will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Chosen Podcast, powered by The King's Council. If you loved what you heard, give us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcast. You can also watch this podcast and much more on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash King's Council Coaching.